Thank you very much. It'll be a real help to you to have the Bible in front of you. If you've got a Bible app, you can open up. Just keep looking at that if you've got a Bible physically in front of you. Uh, if you've ever wondered what it, what it means to be following Jesus, you'll be glad you clicked on YouTube today to watch the live stream. If you've ever uh, felt something's missing in your life that don't know exa- exactly what it is, well, Jesus has got something to say to us. Uh, he says to this rich young man, one thing you lack. What is it? One thing you lack. And if you're not sure about where you stand with God today, um, and whether you've got eternal life, then I'm, I'm glad you're listening today because all of these things are addressed in uh, Mark's gospel today. And if you want God to speak to you, why don't you just take a moment just to bow your heads and join with me in prayer right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we read your word, it is your word and you're the living God. And that the person that we're reading about here was crucified, but was raised from the dead and is alive today. And so we ask that you would speak to us through your living word to each one of us, that we may know what it is to uh, see who Jesus is and follow him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over this lockdown period, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, and we've uh, seen from the sort of end of chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been focusing his time on on teaching uh, the disciples about what it means to follow him as a disciple. These 12 men have been following around. He's been teaching them. And chapter 10 deals with some of the kind of major aspects of life. Uh, Last week, we looked at the topic of marriage and and divorce. And then this week, we see he deals with children and possessions. Kind of this is the stuff of life, isn't it? Marriage, kids, possessions. That's pretty much a lot of your life. And what we should notice here is that what Jesus teaches his disciples um, is totally surprising to them. If you have a look at verse 24, uh, the disciples were amazed at his words. And then verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed. What Jesus taught radically turned upside down what they were thinking about these topics. And so it could be that our thinking on marriage, children, and possessions also needs to be transformed. Uh, For example, if... um, If this morning uh, we saw a few toddlers coming in one door uh, into the room and then not long after behind them walked Elon Musk, uh, the the guy who uh, has been the mastermind behind uh, Tesla and SpaceX, the man who's now the second wealthiest uh, person in the world. I think he's got a personal net worth of about 128 billion. So toddlers, Elon Musk, who would you go to talk to? And who would you think would be the model that you should follow? The toddlers or Musk? You see, I I think every one of us would go, well, he might give me a Tesla, I'm going to speak to Elon Musk. He's the the go-to guy. He's the guy we want to model ourselves on. We want to be successful like him. Man, imagine having him in our church. We'd be cooking with gas, wouldn't we? Do you see what Jesus says here is so radical still to us today? Turns everything upside down. And the central question 
of this whole section really boils down to this, this question. How do you enter the kingdom of God? Yeah, it deals with these relationships, marriage, kids, possessions. But the big question is this. How do you enter the kingdom of God? Have a look at verse 14. Because you'll see there it speaks of belonging to the kingdom of God. Verse 15, of entering the kingdom of God. And it seems this is all tied up in verse 17 to uh, this idea of eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then verse 23, uh, we see that entering the kingdom of God language is there again. And in verse uh, 24 and 25, culminating in the, the astonished question of the disciples, who then can be saved? So this entering the kingdom, eternal life, is about salvation. Who can be saved? And then verse 30, Jesus goes on to speak of receiving eternal life in the age to come. Do you see, this is the central question. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? And I want to suggest to you, if God is there, there can be no more significant question than this. How do you enter into his kingdom? Um, if Jesus rose from the dead and there is life beyond death, then the, 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 the critical question is this. Well, how do I get eternal life? How do I benefit from this? How do I get saved? And I want to give you three words that uh, answer this question because I think this section does answer this question. Three words. Receiving, leaving, and following. And I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about these three words. Receiving, leaving, following. Firstly, receiving. Look at verse 15. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. See, to enter the kingdom of God, we need to receive it, Jesus says. We need to receive it like a child. And Jesus is totally emphatic at this point. If you don't receive it like a child, you will not enter God's kingdom. Well, isn't that fascinating? So the big question here is this. What is it about little children that we need to be like? Is it their cuteness? Well, if it's down to being cute, then I'm sorry, most of us aren't going to cut it. Is it about innocence? Oh my goodness, I've got to be cute and innocent. No hope. And actually, any parent who remembers what it's like to have little kids knows they're not, they're not always cute and they're not that innocent as well. Uh, you've kind of forgotten what it's like to, be, to, to have young kids. And the disciples clearly did not rate children for such qualities. If you look at verse 13, you'll see that they consider them to be a complete nuisance. Uh, these people are bringing their little children to Jesus, and the disciples rebuke them for doing it. And the word rebuke has already been used in Mark's gospel for casting out evil spirits. It's quite a strong word, isn't it? It's quite a harsh response, as if their kids were possessed. Get them, all, get them away from Jesus! Now, of course, parents know that their kids have moments where they, you think, well, are they possessed? But um, to disciples' way of thinking, Jesus is busy, and these young children are just too insignificant. He's an important person. Don't, don't waste Jesus' time with these little kids. Don't bother him. And, of course, Jesus is completely indignant when he sees this. Now, what is the characteristic, then, of these children that Mark seems to stress here? Now, I don't see any particular virtue that he points to. These young children don't even come 
from their own choice. Did you notice? It's not as even if, as if they chose to come to Jesus. Look again at verse 13. They are brought to him, um, probably by their parents. And the stress here really is on helplessness. You know, for the early years of a young child's life, they are basically completely dependent on their parents to live and to thrive. And this is what Jesus means here. To receive the kingdom of God is to receive it, uh, in the words of the commentator James Edwards, as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. The only thing we bring to Jesus is our neediness. And look at the wonderful thing that Jesus does in verse 16. He tells the disciples, now let them come. And he takes them in his arms and individually he blesses them. Jesus loves the little children. If you had the privilege of going over it in Sunday school, you've heard that song many times. And it's true, Jesus loves the little children. And he tells the disciples not to hinder them coming to him. And if this is not a great encouragement to parents and those who um, have been involved in the past in nursery at church and Sunday school, I don't know what it is. Jesus greatly cares for these little children and he's eager to bless them. What an encouragement for us to bring our children to Jesus in prayer, uh, to, to, to read good books with them, to read the Bible with them, to, to teach them about him. We just heard that Dan... Uh, when he got a bit upset and didn't know what to do, he knew where to turn. He knew he could go to his mother for the answers because clearly his mother had already spent quite a bit of time and his dad teaching him about Jesus. Here's a powerful challenge, I think, not just to you know, be encouraged about the place of children in the purposes of God, but actually a challenge to us that we need to remember that to enter the kingdom of God, we all need to receive it like a child in total dependence. Uh, the challenge is presented here in a powerful contrast to the next person we meet in Mark's gospel, uh, the rich young ruler. We learn from the other gospels uh, that I think we learn from Matthew that he was young. I think we learn from Luke that he was a, a ruler. And we learn from Mark he was very wealthy. Well, he learned from all of them he was very wealthy. And from the little children who are powerless, uh, with no social status, uh, and who are completely dependent, you know, we meet someone who's exactly the opposite. He's a full-grown man. He's got financial independence. He's got great social standing. And the children were brought to Jesus, but this man chooses to come to Jesus. And he comes with great eagerness, if you look at verse 17. He runs up to Jesus, he kneels before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now let me just summarize the answer before we look at it in more detail. Uh, because not only must we receive the kingdom like a little child, but secondly, we must leave behind our idols and self-reliance. Look at verse 21. One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me, Jesus says. For this man to inherit the kingdom of God, he needs to leave his possessions behind in order to follow Jesus. Now this man has got so much going for him. He's an impressive guy. He's highly moral and religious. 
He's, he's confident that he could, he could achieve based on his own excellent past record because he, by the question he asked, what can I do? You know, he's done so much already. You know, what can I do just to take me over the edge to, to get that eternal life, Jesus? But the very question shows a nagging doubt about whether he'd done enough. And that's the problem when you think you can earn eternal life. It's like a salesman who, who doesn't know what the sales target is. How do you know when you've done enough? And so he asks, what must I do? Well, Jesus recalls the uh, Old Testament commandments that Moses commanded the Israelites to obey in order to choose life. Verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, his assessment of his external obedience is that he was doing rather well on this front. Verse 20, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And I'm really encouraged by verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, I think that's a great encouragement to all of us who, compared to the majority of the world, are wealthy. Compared to most people in this world, everyone in this room is wealthy. And uh, Jesus loved this wealthy man. His heart went out to him. He loves the children, and he loves this man. Um, But there's still one thing that this man lacked. Even if we could truly keep all the law of God, one essential thing is still lacking. And what is that? He still needs to follow Christ. This man sees religion, like many people today, as essentially right behavior. There are things that you need to do. But you know what Christianity teaches us is that you can, you can never do that. Our personal moral achievements will never get us right before God. What we need is relationship to Jesus Christ, who was able to fully keep all the commandments. A moral life for us is not enough. We must follow Jesus. And the one thing that this man lacks is the only crucial thing in order to receive eternal life. And that's to obey the call of Christ to follow him. And this man runs up to Jesus as he's continuing on a journey to Jerusalem where he would die upon a cross and achieve salvation for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. But there's a crucial prior step for this rich man before he follows Christ. He must first sell all that he has. He has to give it to the poor and then he can follow Christ. He must leave all his wealth behind. Now how are we supposed to apply this? Is this a command for every one of us here? Should we all take up a monastic life of voluntary poverty? Well the key word here I think is is that he says this man, you. This is a specific command to a particular man. So we need to be careful about instantly applying it to ourselves just yet. Because we might need to apply this to ourselves. Jesus puts his finger on the one area that was holding this man back from truly following Jesus. And that was his wealth. Now if you take a closer look at the commandments that Jesus quoted, he quotes the second half of the commandments, uh, the, uh, the external ones that relate to other people. In fact, the only internal one in the last six 
is, is coveting, but Jesus turns that into defrauding, an external act. So, you know, um, uh, five down to ten, you've got basically, uh, those are the ones that quoted, they're all external, and he thinks he measured up quite well. But the point is that Jesus didn't quote the first four commandments. If the latter half deal with how we deal with other people, the first four deal with how we relate to God. And actually, this is where we, we all break the commandments. Where the commandments say, have no other gods. Don't make yourself any idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, by inviting him to give up his wealth, Jesus gives this man a test for him to see that he has, in fact, broken the commandments. Because his wealth and his identity as being a wealthy man had for him become an idol. He had made for himself other idols. His great possessions were the one thing that mattered to him most. And it's, it's sobering, really. Is it an exemplary life? We'd all be very impressed with him. He endears himself to Jesus. Jesus loves him. And yet he's still an idolater. And Jesus puts his finger on the one key issue. Throw away your idol. Throw away your money. Uh, which is the basis of your self-reliance. Make yourself helpless. Make yourself dependent like a child. And then follow me. It's an incredible invitation. Throw away your possessions, Jesus says and I will be your possession. Well, what do you think about that swap? If Jesus really did say this to you, if this was the choice for you, would you throw away your possessions so that Jesus would be your possession? What do you think of that? Over and over again in Mark's gospel, the truth is the same. We always have to leave something behind to follow Christ. The idols might be different for us. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our reputation. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our, a false issue of identity. But maybe it is our love of money. The love of mammon, uh, the Bible talks about this, which is, I think, really where we put money and wealth ahead of God. I think that holds lots of people away from following Jesus. In the parable of the sower, um, it talks about different soils and uh, it talks about the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things can come in and choke the influence of God's word on our lives just as it does for this man. And I think we need to be very careful. We live in a wealthy country despite the economic collapse. We're still doing pretty well compared to most of the world. We just see the deceitfulness of wealth that can pull us away from the word of God. See, this story ends with such tragedy, doesn't it? He, he comes to Jesus excited, eager, earnest. He falls before Jesus, and yet he goes away, his face pale and bitterly sad. He slowly gets off his knees. He slinks away because he had great wealth. Instead of leaving his possessions, he tragically leaves Jesus. And actually, in doing that, he's walking away from the kingdom of God. He's walking away from eternal life. 
And as he does, Jesus turns to his disappointed disciples and astonishes them even more. Verse 23, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. For them, wealth was a, a sign of God's blessing. Isn't that why Abraham became so wealthy? But Jesus points to the great disadvantages of wealth. Uh, when we are wealthy, there are great dangers of believing we're self-reliant. There are huge temptations to self-satisfaction and pride. If you can only enter by realizing that you are needy and dependent, then wealth can be a terrible hindrance to that. And the biggest animal in Israel was a camel, and it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a, of a, of a literal needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well, this just blows the fuse box for the disciples, and they finally ask a really good question. Who then can be saved? If this moral, religious, wealthy man doesn't get into the kingdom of God, then that means all their human efforts to get right with God were futile and useless. And they're shaken out of their kind of self-confidence, and they ask the right question, who then can be saved? And I, I wonder, have we all got to that point? To realize that there's nothing that we can personally achieve in order to be saved. Have you realized the sheer impossibility of human religious effort to impress God? Have we come to see how pitifully limited our, our moral achievements are and how offensive our idolatry is to God? The tragedy is that so few do. And yet when we face up to our spiritual poverty and our impotence, then verse 27 is just such a wonderful verse of hope. With man, it is impossible. Do you get that? It's impossible to be saved. With man, on your own, it is impossible to be saved, but not with God. That's a great verse, isn't it? But not with God. All things are possible with God. Even rich people can get into the kingdom of heaven. Even. There's a God who can do humanly impossible things. A God who can do miracles, who can take lost sinners and rebels and save them and through the death of his son. By his amazing grace, he enables us, even the most unlikely people, to respond to this gospel message. So how do you enter the kingdom of God? Well, by receiving it like a child in total dependence, by leaving uh, behind our idols and self-reliance, and thirdly, by following, by following Jesus who extravagantly blesses. Uh, look at verse 28. Peter, Peter's reaction is very human. There's probably moments in every follower of, this, of Christ where the sacrifices you've made, uh, they sort of weigh on you and you think, well, is it worth it? And, and maybe someone's been like that today. Is it worth it following Jesus? And Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus gives them a wonderful reassurance that puts all sacrifices in perspective. No one who leaves anything for Jesus and his gospel, whether it be house or family or property, will not receive it back 100 times now and in the age to come receive eternal life. There are real sacrifices to following Christ and being committed to spreading the gospel. And there's even real possibilities of persecution. 
Uh, there's lots of places in the world where people are, are, are facing horrendous persecution for their faith in Christ. Uh, the Christian life is not a, a, a sort of a come and find utopia. There are real hardships and adversities, but following Christ is to follow one who blesses extravagantly. He doesn't just promise 100% back, like if you, lose, you know, if you give up your house, you'll get a house. He says, you'll get a hundredfold. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, let me give you an example from my own life. I've lived and visited Australia, America, Wales, Scotland, England, Pakistan, Papua New Guinea, uh, Spain, uh, amongst other places. And everywhere that I have gone, homes have been opened to me. Meals have been shared with me. Um, people have become close brothers and sisters, all because of our common faith in Jesus. Following Jesus, you know, I've had to give up things, but actually I've gained hundred times over hundreds of people I've been brought into contact, which has been such an incredible blessing. And still ahead is eternal life. Life with incredible quality and quantity that we can only struggle to conceive of here and now. How do you get in? Receive it in total dependence like a child. Leave behind your idols and follow Jesus who blesses extravagantly. And you know what? A day will come when there will be a great reversal taking place. Those who are always at the front of the queue today will find themselves last. And those who are considered insignificant and the least for following Christ will find themselves at the very front of the line and greatly honored in the kingdom of God. The first will be last and the last will be first. Every sacrifice will be worth it. While those who cling to their lives will lose them, Jesus says. But those who lose their lives for him and his gospel are those who truly gain life. It's, it's been an exciting week, a uh, few weeks for space travel. Um, there's an interesting piece in the Sunday Times today about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and their competitive racing for the rockets and the, and, and the heavens. Um, SpaceX took four people to the International Space Station, and so Musk is, is one up at the moment. Now, back in 2003, on February the 1st, astronaut Rick Husband, he died as the space shuttle Columbia disintegrated after takeoff. Don't really remember that day. And he wrote this uh, as he considered the mission that he was about to take part of, that fatal mission. He wrote this, being an astronaut was not the absolute culmination of everything there is to life on Earth, he said. As exciting as a ride on a space shuttle may seem, I have to say it's not as important as my relationship with Jesus. If it came to a point where I had to choose one or the other, I'd give up the shuttle ride in a moment. You know, we've been confronted with life and death with the coronavirus. Where's your hope? Where's your confidence? My friends, what a joyful thing to be trusting Christ. And if you're not doing that, why don't you do that today? We're going to sing uh, or listen to or hum along to in the building. You can sing at home. Uh, Christ, our hope in life and death. This is just a wonderful song and it's a wonderful truth. So why don't we stand in the room, just stretch our legs and uh, hum along to this. <laughs>